for now. This is WVEW LP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming live online at WVEW.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding, making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon, we are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook at Indigo Radio and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests and not the radio station. Great. Um, so uh, this is Nina Kunimoto. Um, I am a local educator and a graduate student at University of Massachusetts, Boston, and I'm on the board today. And, and I'm Kelly Juno, and I am a second grade teacher in um, Northampton, Massachusetts. And on the air we have? We have Jonathan Jenner. Jonathan, can you hear us? I can hear you. I'm here. Awesome. So Jonathan is a friend from Northampton who does... Um, work with the Pioneer Valley Workers Center and other organizations. And um, he and I um, just returned from the U.S.-Mexico border. Great. Um, hi, Jonathan. Uh, hi. Um, so before we get started, what we're going to do is um, we're going to play a song, um, as we always do. Nina, should we tell people what the show is about? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. So why don't you go ahead? Okay. So today we're calling the show an update from the border. Um, as I was just there doing work with an organization called Sanctuary Caravan, um, and my friend Jonathan was there as well, and we were working together um, to address some of the issues and needs happening with um, in relation to the caravan that is now um, that arrived in Mexico in um, October and has been pretty much um, majority of them have been waiting at the border in Mexico to enter the United States since then and there are thousands of people um, waiting okay Great. And then um, and another part of it is we'll also do a little bit of analysis um, of what what's behind the, the migration and the border. Um, we'll do that towards the end. And now we'll introduce a song. Um, so we're going to start out before we jump into talking about um, updates from the border with Kelly and Jonathan is we're going to start with a song by Lilo Gonzalez. Um, it is a cumbia. Um, the title of the song is Ningun Ser Humano Es Ilegal, meaning no human being is illegal. Um, and it's a, it's a song that relates to the singer's autobiographical journey to the United States as an undocumented refugee fleeing the Civil War during the 1980s. So here is the Civil War in El Salvador. Oh, my gosh. What did I just say? The Civil War. Right. <laughs> the Civil War okay. in El Salvador. <laughs> Salí pa' Semana Santa, abril del 82 Aún llevo el olor a incienso, a mi pueblo y su dolor Aún llevo el olor a incienso a mi pueblo y su dolor Deprisa sin un adiós Sin plata un pantalón Pensando volver muy pronto A mi pueblo el salvador Pensando volver muy pronto A mi pueblo el salvador Ay qué bonita es mi tierra Te lo digo compañero Ay qué bonita es mi tierra Que lo sepa el mundo entero Ay qué bonita es mi tierra te lo digo, compañero, ay qué bonita es mi tierra, que lo sepa el mundo entero. No puedo vivir aquí, no puedo vivir allá, señores, cuando tendremos un poquitito de paz. Señores, cuando tendremos un poquitito de paz Hoy vivo aquí en la manpleza, frente a un palo de collón para no morirme soñando, cantemos esta canción para no morirme soñando, cantemos esta canción No que 
We are back and you are listening to Indigo Radio and our show today is an update from the border. Great. Um, so let's start. Um, I'm going to have a question for Jonathan. Could you kind of place the listeners on the border? Could you tell us um, what are some things that you saw, um, heard? So give us a sense of what it's like to be on the border. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll speak to some of that. Uh, one, one thing is there's, there's uh, quite a bit of uh, misinformation going all around um, and, and quite a bit that um, was, was hard to get a handle on, which is, I think, just one of the features of, of being at the border. Um, but uh, um, there's uh, the, the, the caravans um, have arrived, um, a lot of different people uh, fleeing really violent, really horrible situations, which maybe we'll talk about uh, later, mm-hmm. um, ha- have arrived in, in Tijuana um, and based on um, not, not only American xenophobia, kind of uh, keeping, keeping people away and, and, and not wanting the um, caravan to um, enter and, and claim, claim asylum or at least initiate asylum proceedings as is their right, um, there's also um, a, a not insignificant amount of uh, Mexican xenophobia towards uh, uh, towards a lot of the migrants in the caravan. So mm-hmm. conditions are bad, um, and there's very limited opportunities to uh, come to the states. Um, there's a, a number system um, that's been set up by a, a, a group affiliated, kind of associated with the uh, Mexican police called uh, Grupo Beta, Mm. Um, who is in, in seemingly in some kind of communication with um, uh, Customs and Border Patrol and ICE on the other side, um, calls out numbers, just like at, I don't know, at a dentist's office or at, at any kind of office, at a DMV, um, except that you, you get a number, um, and right, if you take a number tomorrow, um, it seems like you'll be waiting at least three months uh, for your number to be called. Wow. Um, meanwhile, people are in very precarious situations. Um, it's kind of thousands of people yep. um, uh, sleeping under tarps, uh, maybe scrounging a bit of money to rent a room mm-hmm. um, here and there. Um, but they, they, the different camps keep getting evicted by uh, Mexican police. And now there's a, um, a kind of big camp that's maybe about 30-minute, 20, 30-minute drive uh, mm-hmm. from the border. Um, just creating a whole other series of, of headaches um, for, for people. Um, on the one hand, the Mexican government has set up, you know, like healthcare clinics and stuff to see to very basic uh, humanitarian stuff. And on, and on the other hand, the, um, there's constant rumors flying around, you know, that the camps will be evicted. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, um, so, so there's uh, a lot of people waiting for their numbers to be called, waiting with money that they don't have, um, a lot of hunger, a lot of, and then, and then, you know, a lot of great people, a lot of great uh, organizations on the ground in Mexico um, getting food and humanitarian assistance, a lot of churches doing great work, mm-hmm. a lot of other um, kind of solidarity organizations uh, helping out in ways they can, but it's, it's confusing, it's scary, it's, um, it's a lot of people, uh, a lot of the things that Kelly and I dealt with are mm-hmm. um, people coming from really intense trauma, um, yeah. and really intense trauma, hiding, not being able to sleep through the night, um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty scary. Um, not to mention it's, it's pretty cold. Oh, um, it's yeah. another, um, another thing that just... Uh, complicates the scenario um i was in it's maybe 40 degrees at night just for listeners up here i can say that um uh, i live up in in uh, western massachusetts um i was in my full pea coat and scarf and mm. and cold it's a, it was a pretty cold and wet 40 degrees right yeah and what was your role what organization did you work with and what did you do um as a volunteer on the border so, so both Kelly and I were working with a group called Sanctuary Caravan, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, kind of an offshoot of a New Sanctuary Coalition, um, which is a group of organizers in New York, particularly out of, uh, uh, I believe, Judson Memorial Church, 
Um, but it's a national kind of call out to um, a lot of faith leaders and a lot of labor organizations and a lot of uh, just other folks. I was sent um, um, by my union. I'm a member of UAW 2322 um, in in Northampton, mm-hmm. actually in Amherst, Massachusetts. But um, what we were doing there is um, kind of doing intake and prepping people to cross the border and present themselves to um, Customs and Border Patrol and ICE. Um, they do that by waiting to get their, their number called, where they then get on a bus um, and go, go across. Um, and, and we would um, give people uh, the best information possible, the best information that we had about what they could expect on the other side and what the asylum process mm-hmm. looks like. Um, and that itself is kind of tricky. On the one hand, there's um, international human rights law. On the one hand, there's American law. Um, and then things are changing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, our president said that at one point, while people are fighting their asylum cases, they're going to be in Mexico, then a court overturns it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what that looks like on the ground is really messy. Um, and, and so it's uh, trying to get people the best information possible. Um, um, yeah. Kelly, uh, um, Jonathan earlier mentioned um, Grupo Beta. Could you um, explain to the listeners um, who they are, what they do? Yeah, so Grupo Beta is um, essentially an arm of the Mexican Immigrations and Customs Enforcement Institution. And I actually first learned about them when I was um, working in a shelter on the other border, on the Mexican-Guatemalan border, also for um, Central American um, migrants. And I almost didn't believe it at first because what I knew about, what I know about, um, you know, immigrations and customs enforcement, both in Mexico and in the U.S., I mean, they're essentially acting in the same way for the same interests is that they imprison people and deport people. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew many people who were on their journey in Mexico and they had to um, physically run from immigration officials who they saw and, and abandon all their stuff. So they had no money, no documents, no clothing, no food, no water because they were running from immigration. And then you have this other arm of the Mexican Immigrations and Customs um, Institution that goes out and puts out water for people, delivers first aid for people, um, they give people directions. And um, I mean, one of the things that I was unable to find that I um, am really trying to understand more is like why that group was formed in the first place. And I guess I would imagine that it's a response to like, you know, calls from the people to be more human. Um, And so they have, with one arm, they imprison you and deport you. And with the other arm, they leave you water and give you directions. And Grupo Beta is running the um, refugee camp. Mm. That's true, right, Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. And people aren't allowed in there, right? Or is it just the people are staying to be To be in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mm. so for example, we are operating just outside of one of the, the, the main camp. Yeah. Okay. So Grupo Beta is a part of the Mexican state. I mean, mm-hmm. they are a, they are like the soft power. They are kind of like the soft right. police in, in a way. Right, right. And the and the um doesn't the Mexican government receive money from the United States to do like immigration control? And is it was it Grupo Beta that gets that money to do that work? Um, I'm not totally sure. Do you know, Jonathan? I I also don't know. Mm, um, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, and and I, I think I think those kinds of answers are are hard. They're not unfindable, um, yeah. but I, I've certainly come to find out they're they're hidden. They're um, hard, hidden, and there's a lot of information going around that's not always true. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know, you both of you worked with people um, on the ground. Could you and, and either of you can answer both? Um, could you give us a sense of of the people? Like you know. Who did you talk to? What are some of their stories? Um, give us a, you know, a little bit, if you could just put a face to to the issue, because I think we hear a lot about border, border, but but not a person. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll hop in there and then and let you let, then let you add some to it, um, uh, Kelly. Um, I I didn't talk to a single person who who wasn't fleeing some really traumatic violence, mm-hmm. um, and and a thing I I heard over and over, um, which which I. I I don't know how to how to feel about it entirely. That pe- people kept saying, um, I don't, I didn't want to leave. Mm. Um, I I tried yeah. to I tried to stay. Yeah. Um, and and there was just a a critical mass. It it sounded like um, a lot of what we were hearing was people were kind of trying to hang on to really untenable situations for mm. for some time. And when that reached a critical mass, the the idea of a caravan of traveling in safety with other people also fleeing the same kinds of things um, was was this huge relief mm-hmm. to really untenable situations. And what those untenable situations looked like was a lot of gang violence, where the the shades between gang and police and state become very complicated and and i don't want to kind of speak out of turn or out of leak here i i don't have a a great understanding of of the the subtleties of um situations in um in particularly honduras guatemala el salvador and, and nicaragua mm-hmm. um i can just speak to some of the stories that we heard yeah um another thing we want to be concerned with of course is not sharing any any details right, of, of, right. of, of individuals so these so, so I'm, I have a bit of hesitance um, kind of getting into specifics, which is a real shame because those are the stories that I feel like we as Americans need to hear in order to, to personalize and stuff. Mm-hmm. But we'd hear things like, the kinds of stories would be like, um, there's uh, a lot of the gangs um, run on pretty basic extortion called a, a life tax or a monthly quota. Mm-hmm. Um that dependent on your job, maybe even if you have uh, um, family in the states that can move up or down, um, and that's the primary income for for gangs, and and that has to be enforced with pretty brutal violence. If you don't pay mm-hmm. your seventy five dollar a month life tax, um, you're, you're killed. Um, uh, or but 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 more, um, your there's a lot of kidnappings, a lot of threats. In actuality, the gangs. Um, don't hesitate to kill people. We heard lots of people talking about, you know, my friend was killed, my brother was killed, but also they they don't want to kill you per se. They want to keep you alive in order for you mm-hmm. to, to pay these taxes. So people were receiving all kinds of horrible and brutal threats, notes under the door, um, text messages, phone messages, people coming around, um, people being kidnapped and detained, um, for, for months, um, it's, yeah, um, I, I spoke to a, a lot of young men who were the victims of really um, intense sexual assault from gangs. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe I'll let you jump in, Kelly, and, and say Yeah, well, it's interesting, too, because um, you and I had somewhat different roles there, and so I feel like you... Um, you were doing a lot of translating and really helping people articulate their stories. Um, and, and, um, I was sort of working in the legal clinic, but not in a translating capacity. And so I, the, um, interactions that I had with people were, I didn't hear as many of those, um, details. And so my impressions like that kind of shaped my impressions a little bit too. Um, I mean, at the risk of sounding incredibly obvious, the people from the caravan are like an incredibly diverse mm-hmm. group of people. Um, yeah. Um, you know, campesinos who were unable to make a living at all and were just living in dire poverty mm-hmm. um, to um, college students who were, um, you know, face threats for political action um, to parents with children and, um, young couples. And so just like an incredibly diverse in terms of their personalities, in terms of Mm -hmm. their positions in the world, in terms of the reasons they were leaving, obviously there are major trends in terms of the reasons people are leaving. Mm -hmm. And, um, those are generally poverty and, um, gang violence. But I had the pleasure of getting to 
talk with people and um a little bit more of a casual capacity because I was working in the legal clinic, but not as a translator. And so I was organizing interviews and I was getting people rides back and I was kind of hanging out with people while they waited for their um, interviews and helping make people comfortable and making sure they had food. Um, And, you know, I speak Spanish, but it's not perfect. And sometimes I struggle and they, um, I always experience like they, um, Spanish speakers like I, we, they like to help me work on my Spanish and we would like laugh about that. And, um, and we'd talk about Mexico cause they're not Mexican either. And I, we would kind of compare notes over our like impressions of Mexico. And so in some ways, like we would just talk about like sort of things that we shared. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I love kind of hearing t- people talk about their, um, what they love about their homeland. Um, and people love talking about the landscape and the food and the people and the music. And so that's always really nice to get, to hear what people have to say about that. Um, I, I totally agree with you that, so that pretty much everybody's like, it's not like that I want to leave. Right. Um, and I guess like it, it created a new, there are like two words that kind of stick out to me um, in terms of like describing what I saw there. And one is displacement. Mm -hmm. And it like kind of changed my like understanding of what displacement is because it truly feels like they're, it's like these human beings have nowhere to go. Mm. And like the the conditions in the um, camp are really horrible and people are desperate and but they can't go home and they can't cross the border and they want to cross the border, but they know that they'll be in detention Mm -hmm. and the camp is horrific. I mean, it just like this one story sticks out to me. I met like a young couple and they were describing to me how in the camp, um, they were, they'd been sleeping on the ground. Like there really weren't enough accommodations for everybody there and people were cold and they were uncomfortable and they were miserable and they were just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for their number to be called. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they had all their luggage with them and it was not the day their number was going to be called. And they were like, we're not going back. We're not going back there. We can't go back. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, they weren't even asking anything from us. They were just sitting, sitting in chairs. Like they weren't asking anything and they were like, we well- can't go back there. And then at the end of the day, they went back. Because there was nowhere else to go. Mm. One one question we kept hearing that I think kind of underscored for me the the kind of weight of of the moment we're in and how it, I think it might look different than um, some of the some of the um, waves of, of movement of people from Central America to the states uh, that we've known before um, is is people kept wanting to know the answer to this question. If I try to enter the U.S. Mm-hmm. and they don't. They, they deny my case for asylum. Can I come back to Mexico? Mm. Um, because um, the the thought of going back to their home country um, is basically a death sentence. Right. And this is we're we're seeing this. The Washington Post ran a story, um, but this past week um, about um, someone who who died who was killed um, within days of being um, um, deported deported um after after being held in detention for eight months um uh and no no advancement on their then they were saying look i have threats against my life for these um very reasons um and was was deported after eight months and and killed within a few days Mm -hmm. and that that to me kind of underscored the 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 weight of this and and that's you know that's not a great answer we had for people Right, um, to right. be able to tell them, that, and, and basically the answer is no. If you if you try to enter the states, you can't really be sent back to Mexico. You're most likely sent back to your country of origin, mm-hmm. even though that kind of changes on the ground. Um, and then, but but just to put a cap on it, then I think like like Kelly was saying, it's it's there there were things the the level of kind of human terribleness and 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 uh, kind of evidence of of human cruelty to each other was like I've never seen before and I, and I don't think I'm naive to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's not at all to say that it was like bereft of joy and, and kind of all these beautiful moments of what it mean, kind of means to be human. 
Um, there were weddings that would happen um, of, of people who had been together for years, um, mm. had kids together, but weren't uh, weren't married uh, officially. So, so they get married, and there was there was some j- real joy there. Was, yeah, and I also talked to like I talked to people who, and I just said like. Um, what was it like to travel with the caravan or why did you choose to travel with the caravan? Cause, um, having worked in another shelter that were there, um, before this caravan, you know, everybody I met had either traveled by themselves or with one or two other people, or maybe with like a small group of no more than five, but, um, you know, it's, and it's quite dangerous. Um, and there are so many risks and people really, um, pretty much across the board said how much safer it was in the caravan and how like people in the caravan um, kind of organized the way that they were walking and the way that they were together to make sure that people um, stayed safe. And I'm sure that like there were problems too. And I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it was just like, you know, a uniformly positive, um, method of um traveling but it was it's also a way to have a certain amount of security mm-hmm. and safety and support in this journey so um what what does solidarity look like for people in the united states like both of you speak spanish and i think those are probably quite incredibly useful skills on the border but what about people here who can't go um, what are some things that they could do to stand in solidarity with the people in the caravan? Jonathan, can you talk yeah. a little bit? Because I know, because you do a lot of work in Western Mass um, around this topic. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess in, in some ways, Nina, I feel like that's, that's the question. And, and I guess we're all trying to mm-hmm. um, find find ways to, to answer it. Um, I I've uh, I do some work. Um, I'm, not, I'm not a, a not employed there, but there's a great organization in Northampton, the Pioneer Valley Workers Center, mm-hmm. um, led by an incredible team of uh, of organizers, um, uh, as well as um, different workers committees. Um, so the, the the Pioneer Valley Workers Center does all kinds of great organizing for um, per- particularly for immigrant workers, kind of at the nexus of uh, uh, colonialism and imperialism and, and, and capitalism. So things that, uh, for example, wage theft. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of campaigns against wage theft, and it's one way that um, bosses um, uh, are able to kind of extract more mm-hmm. uh, from undocumented workers by simply stealing wages. And then you say, I mean, what are you what are you going to do? You right. um, uh, if you're if you're undocumented, you can't precisely call the police. Um, and they do really great work with. Um, uh, particularly uh, workers in food production from mm-hmm. farms to um, restaurants. Um, they also run a, a big organization called Sanctuary in the Streets, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a big network of, of allies um, who uh, mobilize in all kinds of different ways um, to, um, to, to try and kind of end the immigration and deportation madness. Um, or the, the the deportation madness of our immigration system. Um, right now, one of the organizers um, of uh, of the Pioneer Valley Workers Center, um, Eduardo Samaniego, um, is he's actually currently detained by ICE um, in in Georgia. Um, and he's kind of had a, a crazy case. Uh, he he didn't have money for a cab fare, um, and when he was back home in Georgia, and he was going inside to get it. Um, the, the 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 cab driver called the police. He he went to prison and and he's undocumented and was transferred to an ICE facility. And so anyway, a, a big thing right now. He's been held for 70 days. He's been held um, in isolation. He hasn't had access to his medication. It's pretty terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the worker center has been kind of mobilizing people, calling um, the ICE field directors in in Atlanta. Um, and mobilizing people in both Springfield and Atlanta. Um, so on the one hand, they, they, they take up individual cases and, and get behind people uh, threatened with deportation. And on the other hand, fight for other kinds of um, legislation, the Safe Communities Act, which didn't pass in Massachusetts, um, mm-hmm. other kinds of sanctuary-type legislation t- trying to prevent um, 
trying to uh, prevent this kind of uh, um, feeder system from the criminal uh, criminal justice system to the uh, to the immigration system, where a criminal offense is something like driving without a license uh, in, when, when it's impossible to get a license. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of organizing there. If anyone's interested in Northampton, Massachusetts, um, tomorrow night, actually, January 7th, um, that, that group, Sanctuary in the Streets, has a meeting at the Parlor Room mm-hmm. at 6 p.m. Um, all are welcome. Great. We'll put um, that on our Facebook. There's a, another great group. Um, uh, the ACLU launched a project in, in Northampton, um, Called the uh, Immigrant Protection Project. It's a new, uh, it's a new thing for the ACLU because instead of kind of picking out certain cases they can win that set precedent for all kinds of other cases, they're doing, um, they're they're doing, they're just taking on individual cases of people caught up uh, in ICE, um, and they have uh, the, the Immigrant Protection Project of Western Massachusetts. Um, if you look them up, they have a phone number. Um, people can call in all the time, um, and a lot of these organizations are—they—they um, they have paid staff, but volunteers are really important. So solidarity work looks like if you speak Spanish, um, there's a need for other languages. Um, there's a need for uh, Creole translators, Arabic translators, uh, Swahili translators. Um, more recently, um, uh, and, and Portuguese in Massachusetts. Um, if you speak any of those languages, those are incredibly helpful. Mm. Um, of course, all of these organizations could could use money um, if you if you dig into your pockets, but um, a lot of our pockets are are, are pretty small. Um, and I I don't know. I think um, I think that's a, that that's kind of the constant question. What does solidarity look like? It feels like we're living a, a humanitarian disaster that we're that we're a part of and we're implicit in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think there, there are ways, but it's, it's hard to know sometimes. Yeah. One thing I feel like I really got a sense of on the border is that, um, I think that, um, and before I went, I felt that I had a sense that the most important thing I could do was physically go to the border. Um, and while I was glad I went, especially since I speak Spanish and I felt like I had, um, a useful role there also from the border it felt really clear to me how much um important work really needed to be done from home um and i one thing that struck me was like the need for a, a nationwide network of sponsors people who can receive um migrants as they come out of detention um, and that can kind of look all different ways. I asked one of the organizers who, when I was there, like, so does that mean you put them up in your house? Does that mean you like um, help them find an apartment? And and she was kind of like all of the above. Um, there's a lot of different ways it can look, although it is um, there is a level of financial commitment to helping people survive and get on their feet in the United States. Um, and I had somebody ask me recently, well, who's doing that work? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, how do we um, look for where the needs are and start doing that work without feeling like we can only do it if we can plug into an organization? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we get creative and, like, create a sponsor- sponsorship um, community in our hometown or, um, you know, do something like accompanying undocumented people um, in rides and stuff like that. If there isn't already an existing nonprofit that does that, like, is there a way that we can kind of shift our thinking to, um, being, finding, um, like-minded people to be creative with and create those things, um, ourselves? Mm Yeah. Yeah, I'll just say there there are some great, um, some really great organizations uh, right between us uh, right now up in up in Franklin County and a few other places that do do um, ride shares. If if you want to if you want to find them, I think it's it's best to ask around a bit. Um, but uh, but one one of the big uh, issues that people face is the simple fact that um, uh, driving without a license is a is a criminal mm-hmm. offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Oftentimes, judges in the criminal system will will downgrade that back to a civil offense, 
Um, but if you can't get a license and say, uh, particularly for bigger trips, oftentimes people have more uh, more secure uh, networks for everyday stuff. They're not always, but say, I need to go to Boston to my consulate to file paperwork for my daughter. Mm-hmm. That's suddenly a huge risk to me um, because I could I could get charged with a criminal offense, and depending on where that, if you know, for not using a blinker or or a simple speeding ticket that for a citizen is a or a legal resident is a uh, civil offense, but it's, it's criminal if you don't have a license. So there's great organizations that um, do that kind of work, um, coordinating rides mm-hmm. um, and just have someone else drive them. Um, that's that's a huge that's a huge lift um, for, for a lot of people. Great. Um, so we're going to take a little song break um, to give us a bit of a breather. It's a poetry break, Nina. Oh, sorry. <laughs> poetry break. Can you introduce the poetry sure. for us? Sure. This is um, a button poetry poem, and the title is Standing in Between. At the end of the day, when there is no work left to do. When exhaustion is all that our legs can feel. We all want to get home, but where do we go when home tells us to leave? My grandma once told me, nunca olvides cuál es tu verdadera casa. Never forget where your true home is. Grandma, I'm not in the place that saw me grow, but but I will never dust my country's dirt off my shoulders. She always reminds me where I come from. I come from trajes típicos, from frijoles y tortillas hechas a mano, from brown skin and thick accents. I tell grandma I'm not welcome in my new home. Refugees! When we can't find a way to keep their families stable, they label us. Dirty immigrants! We did not want to leave, we did not want to run. Asylum seekers! But the alternative is watching you three old neighbor selling chicles next to El Mercado Negro, afraid to wake up with guns on our heads telling us. Give me your money! Is that all you got? They blame, blame us for, for taking away jobs that no one wants, for risking our, our lives to make theirs more convenient. convenient. My grandma tells me, no one will ever be able to build a wall between us. I say, grandma, in my heart, I, I will, will never belong, belong here. She says, tu casa te espera. Your, Your home waits, waits for you. My grandma was missing something. She, she never, never told me that, that one day my own true home would chase me to deserts, rivers, and, and borders. borders. She never told me that home would give no other option but to run away. My Mother tells me that home is her grandmother's tortillas. It is walking down to the river to get water. Home is one pair of shoes. Why go back to cold? Candles and caves. When here we have convenience. Here we have enough money for closets of clothes and three cars. Here we are comfortable. My parents work seven days a week. Too worried about bills to pay. Too tired to play. We plan to get away. On vacation, we go home. I never met the parents of my father. But their image Image was embedded into your mind. He would tell me stories of his land. Acres Acres of of nature that only he and his people could traverse. Peaceful. But war comes with the tide. Waves of hate on his drive. Raced him to the states. And now he traces his shrapnel scars. Like he'll find a path through the wounded flesh that will always remind him. That that he he wouldn't be going back. So instead. He sits his children down and tells us about his name. Iwanyamwu tells us that we will love it. Iwanyamwu. So that our American tongues will feel at home under the roofs of our mouths. Faulty roofs that have never sheltered the language of Igbo. I love my heritage. I listen to all of your stories attentively, but why don't you just say, I want to go home at the end of the day when there is no work left to do. When exhaustion is all that our legs can feel. We all want to get home. But where Where do we we go? Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Today we are doing an update from the border. Um, I'm Kelly and I'm here with Nina and um, Jonathan from Northampton. And we have just been talking about some of the work that's been going on at home in our own communities to be in solidarity with um, people who um, are 
immigrating to our country. Um, and so, Jonathan, can you just talk briefly about the detention center in Greenfield and how ICE operates in our area? Yeah, so, um, so, so ICE um, uh, has their own facilities closer to the border and, and, and farther away from the border, like in Massachusetts and in the Northeast in general. Um, doesn't always have their own facilities. So um, they rent a section of the uh, Franklin County Detention Center, which is run by the Franklin County Sheriff um, in Greenfield. Um, NEPR uh, did a story uh, two years ago, um, and when they, when they were there, there were um, 83 inmates uh, held. Um, and then last year, Mass Live did a, did a story on some data that was given to them um, by uh, by ICE in Greenfield, um, saying that uh, um, there were there were only 43. Um, I've been in there doing some translating work. Um, 80 certainly seems more like the the, the number that I saw. Um, uh, but yeah, there um, the ICE pays 91 dollars um, per inmate per day um, to be to be detained there, and that. Um, that comes out to about two and a half or three million dollars a year um, that uh, that goes to the state, um, according to Sheriff Donnellan of the the Franklin County House of Correction. Um, so so yeah, um, from the best that I know, that's a lot of people coming from um, Connecticut and Western Massachusetts are are held up in that facility. Um, oftentimes, their cases are the the ICE district is in Hartford. Um, and they just have a kind of um, detention Skype where their their cases are heard from there. But yeah, right right in our backyard is a, a big ice facility. Yeah, so I'll say that I consider myself a pretty uh, educated person, and I had no idea that there was um, ice detention going on in Greenfield until you told me um, two weeks ago. And so it just makes me think also about work that needs to be done from our own homes is educational work Mm -hmm. and consciousness raising and political education about like what is happening and how is it happening. Mm -hmm. So on that note about education and thinking about what is happening and how is it happening, um, I think we're going to talk a little bit now about some of the players in this larger global um, system. Um, I will say that in my class... I have children from Central America, and we've been talking about um, what is a country, and that has been very much a conversation about borders, because borders define so much about what is a country. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, since my children are refugees and asylum seekers from Central America, there have been a lot of questions um, from the other children saying, why are there people kidnapped in your country? Mm. And um, why is there violence in your country? And why did your family need to flee your country? And um, I think the struggle in answering these questions is what do we know and think about the situation? And so I think on that note, um, we're going to talk a little bit about a pretty large player um, that a lot of people don't really know about. Right. And um, they're large, but also quite insidious and um, very, uh, how do you say, hidden. Um, And so there's this, um, and and some listeners may have already learned about this. It's it's called the Atlas Network. Um, And the only, there's only two news organizations that have sort of, somewhat exposed um the atlas network network one is um, monthly review online where they kind of just give an overview of the impact that they have in latin america and then um lee fang um he was um featured on democracy now and he talked about his article that was published in the intercept um but it's interesting that you know even people who our scholars of Central and South America don't even know much about this organization. I mean, in my mind, after having done like a little bit of research, like I see this as like this new school of the Americas. Um, that's yeah. Using... I mean, I've never heard of them. Yeah, and I it's been in my mind since I had heard it on the Intercept a long, long time ago, like about a year ago. Um, but 
you know, I'm, I'm kind of making the connections right now um, with all the violence and all the, all the migration and Brazil and, and particularly Brazil and what's happening there. But um, so, you know, it's basically it's a very little it's a think tank. And it's very little talked about. Um, they their basic politics. I mean, they say they're a lot of people call them libertarian, but it's basically extreme privatization. Um, and there's high level of organizing that they do. And um, one of them, which I find very interesting, um, is that they train young political activists in Latin America. And in fact, the, um, you know, the Atlas network, network is worldwide, right? They're all over the world. And, and I only looked at, you know, the one in Latin America. You can look it up online, you know, just um, Google or search for um, Atlas Network Latin America. And it's led by... Um, uh, an Argentinian gentleman um, who was trained in the U.S. at Harvard or Yale or something like that, but you know, very much um, in neoliberal privatization. Um, but you know, on one of their goals is basically is how to defeat socialism at all levels, from the battlefields on the university campuses to the mobilization of a country to embrace the removal of a constitutional government, as in Brazil. And Nina, who funds them? So um, the major promoter um, is uh, Charles G. Koch, and he's part of the Koch brothers. Um, and it's interesting, you know, this is from one of the, the Monthly Review Online article. Um, he, you know, adopts the thesis of James McGill Buchanan, who's the economist out of the University of Chicago. Um, as we know, many economists who come out of there have destroyed many Latin American countries. Um, <laughs> uh, so to disarm the progressive state with an operative strategy in defense of the sanctity of private property rights and to subdue the government model for capitalism to prosper, it is necessary to put chains on democracy is what um, McGill argued. And that's sort of the, the main philosophy that that. Um, Charles G. Koch is going off of when he's creating this Atlas Network. So if you look on the Atlas Network website, you know, it's about promoting democracy. And it's very, you know, um, Kelly and I were talking about this a little bit earlier that, you know, in the 80s, when we talked earlier about, you know, the Civil War in El Salvador in the 1980s, you know, mm -hmm. the brutality of, of pushing capital out, right, into um, third world countries was, was very openly brutal. But I feel like they've learned and they've adapted and this is their adaptation and YouTube videos. Oh yeah. They have like YouTube creative videos, social promotional network. strategies. Yeah. They use um, musicians. Like they really, they have this, this uh, look of middle upper middle class elite America um, that they're promoting around the world. Um, and they are basically pushing against uh, i mean they the these young activists right that they've trained quote unquote quote unquote young activists um they they're the ones they're they're out on the streets and those people were the ones that had a lot to do with um overthrowing um dilma rousseff in, in brazil in brazil yep and so you know they're slowly but surely like they are there's this new wave of um privatization happening and you know uh, i know i I believe uh, many of the people in the caravan come from Honduras. You know, the, the yes. economic um, crisis in Honduras, the Atlas Network was behind it. Like, if you look at all the crises in Latin America, Central and South, the Atlas Network is behind it. And USAID, I believe, um, works with them. And, you know, I mean, they, they front themselves as, a, as in this, you know, we promote democracy um, kind of organization yeah one two things that kind of struck me and jonathan i don't know if like you heard like when you were talking to people if how much detail they talked about like their economic situation but like one thing that i heard or two things was one i heard from people from honduras that under zelaya their light bills were their like electricity bills were lower mm -hmm. that they were subsidized and that um you know zelaya was overthrown by a coup um, mm -hmm. in 2009 and you know since then things have seriously deteriorated if we're just looking at economics people have gotten even poorer and so that's like for me one small example of like 
taking more from the people to give it to the ruling class. And then another example I see is um, a bunch of people I talked to from Nicaragua were describing to me how in April the government basically said, well, we're taking 5% from, and my understanding, since it was in Spanish, was from pensions. Mm, um, yeah, that's the kind of thing. That yeah, it was from it. people's pensions. And... Um, and so it's, yeah, so it's like that government directly seizing. Right. And let me read a little bit of this. This is from uh, the Monthly Review, where they just basically described, and I just picked the one for Honduras. So um, the Eleutera Foundation in Sao Pedro Sula, Honduras, was founded after the coup d'etat against the constitutionally elected president, Manuel Zelaya, in 2009. The leader of the foundation, Guillermo Peña Panting, who used to work at the John Locke Foundation, a think tank of Atlas, based in North Carolina, has given numerous seminars from the organization. The present government of Honduras has requested the political support of Eleutura, right? So the organization that's connected with the Atlas Network, including for the establishment of the first special economic development areas, a controversial project aimed at letting business leaders manage certain areas without attending to the state's legal and political system. So, you know, again, like in, in a very libertarian fashion, just cutting government out, social services. So what I, I mean, if you, one was to project a bit into the future, we're going to see more and more poverty, I think. Jonathan, I'm just wondering when you talk to people, um, did people talk at all about their, about the economic situation? Yeah. And, and, and I think um, it, I feel funny here. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an economist and I really can't <laughs> speak to structural issues in, in Central America. I simply, I simply don't know. Um, but, but um, from uh, from the ground, yeah, um, people um, people were speaking about um, uh, about, about poverty, um, but and and different kinds of different kinds of issues. I, I will say there there were um, I I didn't get the sense from my very limited uh, scope of things that um, it, it seemed to me that uh, while people were poor, while services were cut and stuff. It was um, violence was a was 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 a more intense motivating factor. Uh, of course, the the line between um, uh, economic structure and 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 violence is uh, uh, a thin one, and they're they're very implicated in each other. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because when I worked in the shelter on the other border, on the Mexico Guatemalan border. Um, it sort of felt the reverse that yes, there were quite a number of people who were fleeing violence, but most people, when I said, um, why did you leave your country? They said the poverty and 85% of them were from Honduras. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, well, we don't have a lot of time left. Well, so maybe we can wrap up with some final like thoughts and analyses before we finish up. Yeah. What are your thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) um i mean i guess one thing you and i were talking about earlier are what are the um main opposing interests Mm -hmm. in this situation yeah i mean one thing i thought about you know when i interviewed um aviva Aviva chomsky that was one of my major questions like you know what is all this stuff around the border right now i mean we need those laborers right i mean they're the we exploit them here um, in particular jobs as, as agriculture or, or other types of jobs. And so, you know, her, her response, and, and now that I think about it a little bit more, I, I think I agree with her, is it's like, um, it's like sports or, or the gladiators in, in the Roman era. It's a diversion to what's really going on in the United States. Um, and I think that we need to think about what's going on here that that requires such a diversion. Um, so, what do you think it is? What do I think it is? I <laughs> think it's an. I mean, and I think it is an acute wealth accumulation at the expense of labor. Um, I mean, we're seeing high incarceration rates. We're seeing corporations um, producing things in uh, prisons, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think it has a lot to do with people not being able to feed themselves yeah and it's divisive and it's racist and that turns people's attention away from um 
looking up yeah and by looking up i mean looking at the ruling class and yeah. it turns them toward on turns them on each other yeah yeah jonathan do you have any final thoughts yeah you, you know i i was uh, just back in virginia and uh, uh, an incident stuck out to me that happened to me in, in eighth grade I, I i remember um in social studies uh learning about uh, the ss st louis uh, which was a, a ship that came from Europe in 1939 mm-hmm. and had yep. 900 Jewish refugees oh, on yeah. it. It was first denied entry in, yep. in Cuba, yep. then in Miami, and, and later in, in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and, and was sent back, and so many people um, perished. And the, the, yeah. the parallels there um, are, I, I mean, I think there's so many parallels uh, in, in so much of what's happening now to um, uh, fascism of almost a, a century ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thought that's been sticking with me from the border, another line that I kept hearing from, from organizers whose, whose work I really admire so much and so much to learn from, um, is this idea that we're, we're building the road as, as we go. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it, the, the, the questions we were talking about earlier, what does solidarity look like? I don't think there's an, an necessarily like the easiest answer there. Um, and this this moment kind of uh, requires uh, some courage of us, and and, and I don't think um, I, what that courage looks like, I think, is is, is fairly complicated. But um, the idea that we're in this together, we're here to learn from each other, um, and and the moment I think really um, requires something of of all of us right now um, in order to just be human uh, and to build the road as we go. I guess. Yeah, I think that I also really walked away from that experience with that those words in my head that we're making it as we go yeah um so before we go out with uh, our last song we'd like to um sort of promote a couple of um upcoming events that um we had through um brattleboro solidarity so um um, martin luther king jr's uh birthday celebration coming up very soon so there will be in conjunction a construction of whiteness study group um and i believe that's on january 19th is that correct yeah so um the um january 19th is a saturday and the saturday is kind of um a full day study um location tba but we will send it out through the listserv and post it on our facebook page and that's kind of the kickoff for our construction of whiteness study group which is um, January 23rd, 30th, and February 6th on a Wednesdays, which they're all Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8. Also location TBA, where we're exploring um, the creation of this uh, idea of whiteness and being white in the social construction of whiteness. Yeah. And um, the second thing is if anyone, if you who's listening or anyone you know is interested in um, getting a master's um, in teaching and a teaching license in Vermont, um, please reach out to um, Brattleboro, Solidarity. Brattleboro Solidarity and we'll, we'd be happy to give you some information on On it. the SPARK program, which Nina and I both did. Yes. yes. All right. So do you so want to tell us a little bit about our last song? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much, Jonathan, for being with us. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank it you, guys. A pleasure. You guys are doing great work. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, so our last song, what are you playing? Ana Tijou, I guess. Okay. Ana Tijou. Uh, and this is Somosur, which means we are the South. And it's uh, Anna Tihu, who is Latina, and then she, um, I think the woman on it with her is um, Palestinian. Oh, Shadia Mansur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. This is Indigo. Thanks for listening. Tú nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder, ver, aprender como esponja absorbe. Nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos para todos, todo para nosotros. Soñamos en grande que se caiga el imperio, lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio. Esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía del baile de los que sobran de la danza de mi mía. Levantarnos para decir ya basta. Ni América Latina se suba Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco Provocar un social terremoto en este charco
Venezuela, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Mozambique, Camerún, Congo, Cuba, Somalia, México, República Dominicana, Tanzania, fuera, Yankee, de América Latina, franceses, ingleses y holandeses, yo te quiero libre.